0: Continuing our look at the uh, book of Genesis, chapter 48, this morning, as we look at the life of Joseph, Genesis chapter 48, and we'll just read from verses 12 to 14 to start us off this morning. Once again, if you're a visitor here, we pray that you're blessed by the message today. I hope you've been blessed so far. Genesis 48, verse 12. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, ...who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word. We thank you that we can trust it, that we can rely on it, that it is the foundation of our faith and our understanding of you. We thank you that you've revealed yourself in its words and pages, and we pray... That your teacher would this morning, your, your, your spirit would be our teacher this morning. We thank you once again for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we had one hand going up before about who's been through Westburn. Um, hands up who's been blessed by having Jesus Christ in their life. Good. That's much better. <laughs> i'm glad most of you put up your hands um there are many benefits we have received not because we earned them not because we deserve them and we still do not deserve them okay so we rely on the grace of god each and every day of our lives because we never get to the point where we don't need god's grace you see god continues to bless us each and every day with things that we do not deserve that's his very nature we have a very giving god a god who cares and loves and because of his immense love and a love that we we struggle to comprehend um, in our fallen state but now we are not in a fallen state we have a new nature which we struggle to sometimes recognize within ourselves but God is immense in his love and he continues to give us blessings each and every day. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Psalm that that we are loaded, I love his phrase, loaded daily with his benefits. Loaded daily. Amen. So isn't that a isn't that a huge praise? We are loaded daily with his benefits. So we serve a a very a very gracious and a giving God. And so We are celebrating him every time we get together. There is many reasons to worship him, to praise him, to thank him. And that's what our lives should epitomise, being thankful. So today's sermon is really about that. It's really about the blessings that God gives upon people who don't deserve it. And we're going to see this in this particular passage today. And if I'll just recap quickly for you where, how, why we find ourselves at verse 12. It's because I didn't finish chapter 48 last week. Okay? Um, we got up to verse 11. And if you recall the sermon last week, I'll just recap for those who were here and those who were not here. You'll know that Jacob was sick unto death. Okay? So he's in his bed. He's approaching the, la- the final days of his life. And so someone had come to Joseph and said, your father is sick. And Joseph, realising that it was probably going to be the last time he was going to see his father, prepares himself and gets ready his two kids, two boys. okay, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they make the journey to see Jacob, his dad. And so Jacob also prepared himself, knowing that his son was coming because there was something important that he wanted to tell him before he was going to go to the Lord. Okay, he does something very special for him. In fact, not just one thing, but two things he does very special for him. He transfers the birthright, that of the firstborn, he gives that to Joseph. Okay, So Reuben was the firstborn, but he gave what was due to Reuben now to Joseph. And he also does something really amazing. He adopts Joseph's two children to himself. He says... Manasseh and Ephraim are going to be like my sons, like Reuben, just like Reuben and Simeon. And so he adopts his children. Because he believed in the promises of God, that his he's, that he's seed would, would uh, be a great, a great number of people, that he would inherit that land of Canaan that God had promised him, he wanted to make sure that really the first son that he had, Joseph, which was his favorite from, from a long time before, uh, was going to receive a double portion. That's what the firstborn would get, double the amount. Okay, So as he knew that one day God was going to keep his promise and he was going to inherit all that land, which is huge when you think of it, and they were going to divvy it up between his 12 sons and he wanted Joseph to have a double portion of everyone else. But he does then something different. He actually adopts his two children to himself. Why? He could have just given Joseph the birthright, the double portion, and then he could have passed it on to his children. Well, I believe that God does things in a certain way to teach us a particular lesson about who we are. If you recall, Joseph is a has been, over the course of these few months that i've been preaching about this chapter an amazing picture of christ and the way christ has been with us and what christ has done for us and so we see this this picture over and over again parallels in the story of joseph's life and the life and work of christ and this portion of scripture is no different it's the same it gives us something special for us to have a look at because Christ has done wonderful things for us, and that is pictured in this particular passage too. But before we go deeper into this passage, let's see how Joseph responds to Jacob's um, blessing and adopting his own two sons. Now, if you're a father and your and your father said, "I'm going to adopt your two kids to me," would you all be happy about that? Maybe, maybe not. But let's have a look at what, at what uh, Joseph's response here. Was he happy with his father's decision? Well, verse 12, which is the verse that comes straight after that particular pronouncement, pronouncement, says, And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. So the answer to that is, yes, he was happy. He was happy with what his father had told him. And he was more than willing to bring forth his own children so that they could be adopted by his own father. And so Jacob makes this declaration to Joseph. And Manasseh and Ephraim, by the looks of it, while he was talking with his son Joseph, were standing between Joseph's knees. He may have been sitting on a chair. He may have been in a particular position where he's got his two kids right there in front of him. And so they must have been fairly young, this particular age, and to be that close to their father. And so they, if you consider that they grew up not knowing their grandfather at all, they grew up without knowing their uncles, without knowing a life in in, um, in Canaan. They were they grew up in Egypt. Okay, they grew up not knowing their grandfather, and here they find themselves at. Uh, their grandfather's who they probably don't know too well at all, if they'd seen him at all. I've, th- I've got a feeling that they've, they've never even seen him. This is the first time and the last time they've probably seen him. And so they're there. And have you ever seen children when they're close to someone that they don't quite know? They're not quite sure of, you know what I mean? What do they do? They hold. They cling on to mum and dad, don't they? You know, when they're that young. And so I get the impression that they're, they're, they're there. Manasseh and Ephraim sort of clinging to their dad. They're standing there and, um, and they're looking at this man who they, they don't know well at all. Um, a man who's, think about it, on his deathbed. So he probably wouldn't look like a picture of health, would he? He may have looked a little bit old and, um, and probably not, not uh, very healthy at this particular stage. And so Joseph's got them between his knees. And then Joseph, after he bows himself to his father, he bows himself to the earth. In other words, he honours his dad. He brings his two kids, the two sons, forward to be blessed by um, his father. So the first parallel I want to draw here is that it's Jesus who brings us to his father. It's through Christ that we are brought to the father to be blessed in fact jesus says that he is the way the truth and the life and is the only way to the father there is no one else who can bring us to the father because ultimately everyone's relationship with god has been destroyed because of what we've done and the only avenue that's available is to go through the son and so we find this picture in joseph and jacob where because Joseph was Jacob's son, he was able to bring his children and present them to his own father. And Jesus does the same for us. You see, Jesus also represents and reveals the perfect character of God too. When we see Jesus and we hear Jesus speak and we see the things that he does, in those actions and thoughts and words and deeds, we find a perfect representation of God. Perfect representation. And that's why Jesus rebukes Philip where Philip, they're there, they're there together, and Philip makes this interesting thing. He says, oh, Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us, and that'll suffice. Just show us the Father. Like he wanted to see you know, the whole open up the heavens business and show us the Father. And Jesus rebukes him in John fourteen nine. It says, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You've been with him for the last three years. You've seen him in me. He is the perfect representation. So if you come to know Jesus, you come to know the Father too. The relationship is made possible through the Son. The children of Joseph would not gro- had not grown up with their grandfather. They didn't know him at all. And that's what the, the, the entire world is in a situation. The entire world does not know God. It has to be the Son who brings you to the Father, to reveal the Father to you. So Joseph, in honour of his father, Jacob, and in acceptance of his declaration, bows himself to the ground. And after he's done this, he takes his two boys um, and he brings them toward his father, so that he would become, in essence, their legal father. As if to say, here are the two children that you've adopted. Please bless them for me. They are now part of your immediate family. They're your sons. As I shared with you last week, adoption is one of those distinguishing features that, that um, pictures the born-again believer from someone who's not. Someone who's saved from someone who isn't. The adoption of children comes because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. It's because Jesus won the victory for us on that cross, because we are cleansed by his blood, because we come to God through him. The Bible says that we have been adopted into God's family. By the grace of God, we are not only saved, but we are adopted. We become God's children. And by a special act of benevolence. Did he have to? No. didn't have to adopt us. A lot of things he didn't have to do. But because of his good pleasure, he did it. You see, Ephesians 1 5, if you have that in your Bible, if you want to turn, just give me there for a moment. Gives us this picture and tells us exactly what happens to a person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ to save them. So Ephesians 1 5 says, having predestinated us. Unto the adoption of children. Okay, that's what's predestined. That we would become the children of God by Jesus Christ to himself, to the Father. According, not because we earned it or deserved it, but according to the good pleasure of his will. He did that for us. So meditate on that for a while. Think about that. That God would bring us into his family when we didn't know him. We were rebellious by nature. We were sinners by nature, lawbreakers. God decided to cleanse us and through his son provided a door that we would become his own children. And this is what's pictured with Ephraim and Manasseh. So Ephraim and Manasseh are a picture of those children brought to the father by the son, who have been adopted by the the father. Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ who brings us to God the father who then blesses us and grants us an, an inheritance with the saints. It's a beautiful image of our faithful and loving Saviour, who did the hard work to bring us to his father. And now that we've become his children. So Joseph guides his two children to his father in a particular order. You'll notice it makes a big deal about... He's got, him, he's got uh, uh, Manasseh in his left hand, guiding him to... Jacob's right hand and Ephraim in his right hand guiding him to Jacob's left. Why? Because Manasseh was the firstborn. Manasseh was the older. And he deserved to be blessed with the right hand. Because the right is the place of prominence. It's a place of blessing. Higher than the other one. Okay? Not that they not that the other one wasn't blessed, but there's a particular order. So. Verse 13 tells us, And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. So he pur- purposely guides these two in the right order, so Jacob could just put his hands on them like that, and he could bless them in the right order. Um, something goes wrong here. Fully, we, we look at what's gone wrong. I want to remind you that this is not just true, this was not just customary that the right hand would be the place where prominence, where blessing, where, um, where, where honor was, but even for God, this is true. Okay, so we know that when Jesus ascended up into heaven, he sits now at which side of God the Father on the right, on the right. Eh? So, well, we Acts chapter 2, verse 34 and 35 says, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy, thy foes um, thy footstool. So we know this is a prophecy referring to David that he made about what would happen when Jesus ascended up into the heavens, um, which is confirmed in many other places in the Bible. So. Hebrews 12.2, if you want to turn there quickly, we'll have a look at just a couple. Just to confirm that there's no scripture verse that says he's sitting on the left hand of the Father. It's all on the right, and there's plenty of them too. Okay. Hebrews 12.2 says that we as believers should be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, okay. Romans 8:32. Romans 8, sorry, Romans 8:34. So it says there in Romans 8.34, what's he doing sitting at the right hand of the Father? Well, Romans 8.34 tells us what he's doing. It says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So he's acting as a high priest, as a priest for us. He intercedes for us. He actually speaking to his father on our behalf. Okay? So, we understand that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So, does that mean there are two thrones in heaven? Oh, he's sitting in... Is he sitting in a separate throne? I mean, is God the Father? God's throne, right? Is God the Son? Has he got another throne that's sitting next to his dad? And he's saying, hey, Dad, you know? Isn't the picture we, we often get? Is there two thrones in heaven? Uh one in which the Father sits and one on which the Son sits. Well, let's have a bit of a, more of a look at this. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to give these Bibles a good workout today, okay? <laughs> Revelation 5, 6 says, And I, and I beheld, and lo... In the midst of the throne, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Okay, so there's a lamb that is that is in the midst of the throne. Now, the word midst is in the middle of at the heart of. Turn to Revelation 7 17. We had the same thing mentioned again here. Now John sees this throne in heaven, and it says there in Revelation 7:17, 7, for the Lamb, which is Christ, okay, which can only be Christ, it can't be anyone else, which is in the midst of the Throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So where's the Lamb? In the midst of the throne. So any mention of two thrones here? No. There's one throne and the Lamb is in the midst of that throne. Neither do any other scriptures mention uh, any multiple thrones that somehow there's God the Father sitting on a throne and then the God's Son <laughs> is sitting on another throne. But let me ask another question. Um, Before Christ came to the earth and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, where was he? Where was he? Was he at the right hand, at the left hand, and some other other place? There's no mention in David's, apart from David's prophecy that speaks about after he's ascended up into heaven, that speaks about that. We do have a number of uh, recordings. For example, the, the prophet Isaiah sees heaven open. And what does he see? He sees... God sitting on a throne. We have leaders of Israel when they when they they're at Mount Sinai. What do they see? The heavens open and God sitting on a throne. So we don't see multiple thrones. We only see one throne. But what does that mean then? So let me share something with you, which may provide uh, an answer for you, and which may help us actually understand the nature of God a little bit more clearly. Are you ready for some scripture verses? Okay, Psalm seventeen seven Psalm chapter seventeen verse seven. This verse says Show thy marvellous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. So how does God save people? With his right hand. Now turn forward to Psalm 20, verse 6. Psalm 20, verse 6 says, Now know I, that the Lord, saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. So how was salvation won by God, according to these verses? By his own right hand. How how were you and I saved? Who saved us? His son, Jesus Christ. Let's continue though. Psalm 1835. Psalm 1835. Let's look at another aspect of God. Psalm 18.35 says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness has made me great. So how did David testify that he was being held up? With what? With God's right hand. That's funny. You're being held up by God's right hand. It's hmm. another scripture verse that talks about holding things up. That I was reminded of in Hebrews one three, you don't have to turn there because we'll just we'll stick with the Old Testament. It says, "Who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Who is the person that upholds all things by the word of his own power? It's the Son. It's Christ, who upholds the entire universe." by his own power, and upholds us each and every day of our lives? It's Christ. Who was the one that told the Apostle Paul when he was saying, Lord, please take away this thorn and this thing that's, that's bothering me? And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Who holds you and I up every day by his grace? It's him. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12. Now here we talk about the creation of the entire universe. Isaiah chapter Isaiah forty eight, verse twelve. It says There hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. Mine hand also has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. Whose hand spans the entire heavens? Who stretched the entire heavens out? It was God's right hand. That stretched the entire... Now, the Bible tells us that God created everything through the sun. Everything was created by him and for him. and The Bible says that everything was created through the sun. Turn with me to Psalm 48, verse 10. Psalm 48. It says there in Psalm 48, verse 10, it says, According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. The right hand, full of righteousness. What the Why would you say his right hand is full of righteousness? Because I'll tell you something this morning. You and I are not clothed in our own righteousness. We had to be clothed in the righteousness of who? Of Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness. So when God declares that his right hand is full of righteousness, I'll tell you who it's speaking about. Turn to Psalm 98, verse 1. we'll find out how God won the victory. It says, a psalm, 98 verse 1. A psalm, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Amen for that. So who won the victory over sin and over death? Jesus Christ did. As we consider the valiant victory of Christ, how he went to that cross, how he lived the perfect life, never ever having sinned and done not what the Father wanted, that he always completed what the Father wanted him to do, that he always said exactly what the Father wanted him to say, that he remained and retained a perfect relationship his entire life and then willingly went to a cross and suffered all of that stuff for us who didn't deserve it. To fulfil God's perfect plan, he won the victory over death, over sin, over the devil. And if we think about that, that's why that at his name, every knee is going to bow. So turn with me to Psalm 118. Think about... As we think about the glorious victory that Christ won for us personally and and how he was exalted because of what he did Psalm 118:14 says the Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous the right hand of God of the Lord doeth valiantly the right hand of the Lord is exalted white of the Lord doeth valiantly isn't that a perfect description of what Christ has done for us this is him Psalm 139 David says where can I go to hide from God now where can I go to hide from his presence can I go to the depths of hell can I go to the furthest parts of the sea of the oceans or the sea Where is is there any place that I can hide from God the answer to that is no Because Psalm 139 verse 10 says, Eve, you may go to the furthest parts of the earth, somewhere where you think that that you may be able to, to, where God is not, it says, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. The Bible tells us that when... When the Apostle John sees Jesus, and he sees him with a with a shining face, and he's glowing, and his legs are like molten uh, copper or brass, and it says that he's got the seven stars of the church in his hand. You know which hand he's got them in? His right hand. Um. All these things are recorded for us for a reason. And the Bible says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father it doesn't mean that there are two thrones jesus is the right hand of god and the right hand of god reached into the earth reached into our world and rescued us and saved us jesus is the right hand of god there is only one throne in heaven and the lamb of god is in the midst of that throne he is the right hand of god and so we should always remember He deserves all the honour, the praise, the glory because of what he's done. But ultimately, he's the right hand of God. And so you can't separate him from God. God is not divided, but he is the manifestation of God perfectly in this world. And he reached down and saved us. So let's continue with our look here. Go back to Genesis chapter 48, verse 12. Something has changed here with Jacob and the way he's positioned his hands on Ephraim and Manasseh. It says, And Israel, the other name that God had given Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, not unwittingly, so, if you do something unwittingly, you've done it without realizing it. But he's done this thing wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and he knew that. Now, hang on. He's wittingly guided his hands. So, he's, got, he's gone and done that. Does he have them mixed up? Let's have a look. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, And he blessed Joseph. So, he starts by blessing their father and said, God. Before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let my name be named on them, my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob blesses his son, but he's blessing them through his own children as well. And he's testifying that the same God that had called Abraham his grandfather and Isaac his own father and had been the same God that had sustained him his entire life. And the angel he speaks about here is not an angel like the angel Gabriel or the angel Michael or the archangel Michael. This is the pre- what we call the pre-incarnate son of God. This is, this is the son of God before he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Okay? He'd come in and he'd actually presented himself to to Jacob and he wrestled with him. That's the same God. And he asked this God to bless the boys that they may grow into a multitude on the earth and be named after his name. Um, People in olden days, not many people can probably say my surname in this church. Hands up you can say my surname. Or I'm going to make you stand up and say it. (laughs) Keep on saying we have special classes for my surname. <laughs> it's part of our membership ritual, you have to know how to save the pastor's surname, otherwise you can't. it doesn't cut it. But if people in old days didn't have surnames, okay, they didn't have surnames. You identified yourself by who you were attached to, okay, and whose son you were. All right, so my name, because my father's name was Nicholas, um, would be Frank, son of. Nicholas, son of, guess what, Frank. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> because we name our children after our, after our father or the, after our grandfathers, whatever. So it's the same thing in those days. So they were called after the name of their father. So Jacob now says Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be named after me. So instead of being Ephraim son of joseph son of jacob it was going to be ephraim son of jacob wow look at that son of isaac son of abraham so interesting thing that he did verse 17 this bothered joseph joseph thinks hang on a sec dad something's wrong over here and when joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of ephraim it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. So Joseph thinks, Dad, he's mixed it up now. I better fix his hands up and put him in the right places, because he's got it all sort of, you know, he's got us all he's got it mixed up. He's made a mistake. But had he made a mistake? Well, no, we already know he hadn't because verse 19 says, and his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. I know what I'm doing. He also shall become a people. That's speaking of Manasseh. He also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed him that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So once again, he's done the same thing he's done with Joseph. He took Joseph and and he took the birthright away from Reuben, which means he didn't disown his son. It just meant that he didn't get the double portion, didn't get the the preeminent place, and he gave it to Joseph. And now he's done the same thing with these two boys. Okay. So he does something that's a little bit strange. And he chooses to bless Ephraim before Manasseh. Why? Because God had already shown Jacob. What would happen? What was coming? That Ephraim would be, he, as he says here, a multitude of nations. But the Bible doesn't mix up words here. It doesn't make mistakes with words. It says that Ephraim will become a multitude of nations, but Manasseh shall be great, a great people. It be will become a people. So as a, as a note, for those of you who do, didn't know, After Moses died and the people of Israel were led into the promised land, who was it that led them into that promised land to fight and take it? It was Joshua. Joshua was a Ephraimite. Okay, So it was an Ephraimite who actually led them into the promised land. Moses was not allowed to even enter the promised land. But it was Joshua, an Ephraimite, who actually led the people and helped them fight and take that, that land. To themselves, there are some people today who claim to be the descendants of the Ephraimites. You see, the Ephraimites were one of the tribes that were taken away captive by the Assyrians. And some people say that they don't exist anymore. Other people say, "No, we're we're the ones." Okay, um, and others say that Ephraim, after they were taken into bondage into into Assyria, had spread into other parts of the world. And we became influential at starting other countries. I don't know the answer to all that. I don't know the the details of all that, but I do know that this prophecy is true. And so, if Joseph is a picture of Christ, and it says here that Ephraim would become, whose seed will become many nations? Well, many nations is not Israel. Many nations is all the ones outside of Israel. Australia is a nation the US is a nation and Russia is a nation and plenty of nations in Africa and South America and Europe who aren't Jewish, let's say, that I believe when you look at this and you see what happens here, you see that Jacob blesses the younger one and says he'll be greater. He will be a father of many nations. He doesn't say that about Manasseh. Manasseh is one. But he blesses both of them and he says that he'll be greater. And so what I think this represents is that and if if Joseph is a picture of Christ who brings brings us to the Father, then those two children represent the church. And the church is made up of Jew and Gentile. Okay? Jew and Gentile. Just turn with me. I'll just I'll just I'll just share this point with you. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. You see, I suspect that Manasseh becomes a picture of Israel and Ephraim becomes a picture of the Gentile nations. And it was and the reason Ephraim's blessed, the reason Manasseh doesn't receive that right hand of blessing is because the Jews to this day have rejected their Messiah. They will eventually. But the greatest number of people that have turned to Christ, and I look at all of you, are not Jewish. You're Gentiles. So have a look at what the Bible says, because the Bible does separate these two people, but brings them together at the same time. So 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and they've been all made to drink into one spirit. So, so Paul describes that when a person's born again and saved, he's baptised in the Holy Spirit, and we are joined together as one body in, in, in the Lord. And in that one body, which we call the church, there is no Jew and Gentile. You might find some Italians floating around in there and some Greeks, and that, but they're all one, right? That's how we can worship together as one people. Paul describes that we've been blessed as Gentiles also because of the unbelief of the Jews. And we've been made with them brothers in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And this is speaking to us as Gentiles, okay? This is specifically talking to the ones who aren't Jews. This is saying, this is, he's writing to the uh, Ephesians here, that at that time, Ephesians 2.12, that at that time ye, you Gentiles, were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. We had no, no idea about God's promises. We had no idea about God's covenant with man, with, with man. And look at what it also says in verse 12, having no hope and without God in the world. Why? Because we were worshipping other gods. But now in Christ Jesus, ye, you Gentiles, who were sometimes who, who sometimes were far off, which means far away from God, are made nigh, that is close, by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made who hath made both Jew and Gentile one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a wall between the Jew and the Gentile. The Jews in Jesus' day saw Gentiles as dogs. They saw them as dogs, not even worth going to share the gospel with or to be part of them. They were considered low-life people. But this says that he, because of the work of Christ, that, that dividing wall in the middle of us has been broken down. And verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity between the two, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, all those, those laws that, that God had given the Jews, for to make in himself of twain, of two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So in Christ Jesus... There is neither Jew nor Gentile because in him, in the church, we are all one now. The blood of Christ didn't, cleanse, didn't just cleanse us from every sin and stain. The Bible says it brought us together and made us one. We were aliens from God before, we didn't know God before. But because of the blood of Christ, we've been brought together and close to God now. This was not the case before. But the Bible also tells us that we should never be boastful. As Gentiles that look at look at us, we've you know we're we're following Christ. We've received him as our King and and we recognize him as the Christ, the Messiah, but the Jews have still rejected him. It just says, Don't be don't be proud, don't get arrogant, because you have been grafted into the vine. And what does that mean? Well it essentially means that it was the Jews who had the covenants of God. It was the Jews who wrote down this Bible that we hold in our hands. It was them. It was they who, because of their faithfulness, Christ was born in the world as a Jew. You see, starting from Abraham all the way down and even going further, further back, God had a plan and he's chosen a particular people through whom the Saviour would be born, through whom the Word of God will be recorded, through whom the whole world was going to be blessed. And you and I are here today because of that, because of them. Now, they haven't received him as as their saviour. They haven't received him as their king. But we've been grafted as a wild olive tree. We've been grafted into them. We've been grafted into the promises and family of God because of what Christ has done on the cross. But one day, too, the Bible says that they will receive him. So Romans 11.25, if you want to turn there, we're almost done. Romans 11, verse 25. There is going to come a day when the fullness, when the complete number of the Gentiles has been saved, according to God's number. This is his business, okay? It says, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. Let's not get conceited and big-headed about this. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And then Israel will receive their king. They will follow him and all Israel will be saved. That's God's business. okay? But we can rejoice because even through their blindness, we got to hear the gospel. So we are, we are blessed because the Apostle Paul, who started his ministry sharing the gospel with the Jews, after he was stoned, beaten, uh, uh, almost killed and a few other things, his, his, his normal procedure was to go to where? A synagogue and share the gospel. As you would, because you go to the people who already understand the foundations of who God is. They're the easiest ones to reach because all the promises of God are already recorded in the Bible. And so all you do was read it out and say, but thou, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, out of thee shall come a leader and a king. They should have known all those things. So you go to the ones who know most of the foundations, but because they rejected him, he said at one particular point, he says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. Because of that, primarily, we are here. Because of their blindness, because they rejected, we are here. And so God knows his plans. God knows exactly what's happened. And God has blessed us even through their disobedience. They may be a picture. Those two sons become a picture because, as Gentiles in the church, we have been blessed. And there are many nations that have come to the lord when well, i'm not saying whole countries that many many peoples have come to the lord but israel is still the older one the firstborn the one that should have known still isn't so our prayer should always be for them that god would reach them and that, that that veil that's in front of their eyes as the bible describes would be taken away and they would come to know jesus as their savior too and their king so let's finalize these last two verses. Genesis 48, 21 and 22. It tells us there in Israel said unto Joseph, that so he's blessed these two sons. Joseph's accepted what he's done. Behold, I die. I'm about to go. But God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover. I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So he had already conquered this particular area, which he said he was going to give as the extra portion to Joseph. Okay? Even though he's about to go, he's telling his son, whom he loved very much, he says, "Look, I'm about to go, but you know what? The God who has sustained me my entire life, He's not going to leave you either. He's going to be with you forever. He is going to be with you every day, and He will not forsake you, even though He may go, even though Jacob would go home. And I'm going to give you a double portion, which I've won by my own hand. And so he gave Joseph." when he was young, that coat of many colours. Do you remember? that distinguished him from his brothers and his brothers hated him because of that. And he suffered because he was the, the favourite of his father. He'd given that, that special thing to distinguish him when he was a boy, but now he had ensured that he was getting an extra portion again, that he was going to be blessed and be preeminent among his own brothers even though he had been hated by them all of those years ago. So, our message to us today, don't lose hope in God. You may go through difficult times in your life, as Joseph did. Do you remember? He was thrown into a pit, and then sold off as a slave, and spent much of his life in a prison. But God didn't abandon him. He didn't abandon Jacob, and he was always going to keep his promises. Joseph's life now as he's with his father, is about to die, is very different from the life that he started with, from the life that he had to endure in slavery. His father now had restored to him a blessing that he had lost those years before. And it's ultimately, it was God who was going to be with him and God who had sustained him through all of those years that he was separated from his family. So it can be easy for us to take our eyes off the Lord when things don't go right. It can be easier for us to, to say, why me, Lord? Why do I go through these things? Sometimes, 95% of the times, it's us. It's bad decisions that we make, not him. And we're, we're paying the consequences of bad choices. We just don't see it most of the time. But even in our bad choices, you know the beautiful thing about grace? It compensates for our stupidity. It compensates for our weaknesses. It compensates for our bad decisions. Even those God can use. God used that, the bad choices of his own people, Israel, to bless us as Gentiles. God used the bad choices of Joseph's brothers in wanting to kill him and throwing him into a pit and selling him. To actually save all of Israel, and to be a blessing to his entire family, but you see, God was God's hand was in it the entire way through, God's right hand. Either God's right-handed, or He's telling us that Jesus is always there; He is not far. And so, if you have a relationship with Christ, I pray that you will keep that close, that you will treasure that relationship more than anything else you have in this world, because everything else is here today and gone tomorrow. But he will not be gone tomorrow. We will be with him and he will never leave us forever. So my questions to you this morning, please take these with you. Do you have faith in God for your life? Do you have faith in God for your family? Are you faithful despite your circumstances? Or do you tend, when things go wrong, to turn your back on God? And get angry with him. Regardless of where you find yourself today, if you are in the right hand of Christ, you're in the right hand of God. And you will never be lost nor forsaken. God bless you. Thank you.